We're in Acts chapter 18. So if you don't mind, uh, go back into verse 18, because I, I just want to make sure we have some good context. This is the end of Paul's second missionary journey, and if you're not paying attention, uh, the second journey ends and the third one begins, and, and it just, in an instant, okay? Because I think Luke is trying, Luke is the guy who is used by the Lord to write this book, and in case we've forgotten, he wrote this book to a, a Roman individual, okay? Cornelius, not Cornelius, Theophilus, okay? Theophilus, okay? The book of Luke and the book of Acts. Like, Acts is like Luke part two, okay? To the same guy. And so I think Luke is wanting to get to Ephesus, all right, in one sense. So as he's writing this, verse 18, it says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. This is, um, you know, he went into Corinth and the Lord came to him and he spoke to him in a vision in the middle of the night and saying, listen, Paul, do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Don't stop talking about me. Don't start, don't stop sharing the gospel. I have many people in this city, right? And we, we think that the indication there is the Lord's, incur- number one, he is encouraging Paul because he probably is going through a discouraging moment. Everywhere he's gone, he's been beat up. Uh, he's been rejected, by and large. Uh, he just left Athens, and he probably didn't have the results that maybe he wanted. He didn't get to maybe elaborate on the gospel as much as he wanted to. That's fine. He moved on to Corinth, and the Lord met him in Corinth and said, listen, don't you be afraid. You keep talking about me. You keep sharing. You keep sharing. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen to you. And, and so he was encouraged by that, and, and many people did come to know the Lord there in Corinth. And so as Paul's staying there, it says he stayed in Corinth for some time after that. Then he said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to uh, nearby Centuria. Okay, there he shaved his head according to, a, to Jewish custom, making an end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. So this vow, more than likely, we talked about this briefly last time, but more than likely this is a type of Nazarite vow, okay? And here's the connection. He probably uh, made this vow to the Lord following this vision that he had from God, this encouragement, as his way of gratitude or thankfulness to God. He's like, listen, Lord, I'm going to make a, a Nazarite vow showing my appreciation towards you. So that would mean he'd grow out his hair. That would also mean if it is a Nazarite vow, then he wouldn't, t- he wouldn't touch wine. He wouldn't touch grape juice or even grapes, right? That's all part of the Nazarite vow. But oftentimes when Jews were outside of Israel and they made a vow, what they would do is at the completion of the vow, they would shave their heads. And then they bring that hair back as kind of like an offering to the Lord, Okay. More than likely, that's what Paul has done here. This is just him saying, hey, God, thank you so much for encouraging me with your word. I'm going to make a vow to you. And he did that. And so he had, he had like a, a year and a half of growing out the hair. So who knows what that would have looked like. Give me a year and a half and, oh, you'll be afraid. You'll be frightened because this goes like this really fast. Okay? Um, it's, it's impressive. Um, I've done it for a year once before, and uh, it was terrifying for most, uh, for most people. Um, actually, that was 16 years ago because that was right before my son was born. Um, I'm walking around, and I don't know who I look like, but I probably look like somebody from the 60s and the 70s. It, you would probably be like, what, this guy? Um, yeah, it's just, it's wavy, and it's, it's, it's big, um, you know. So I won't be making any Nazarite vows uh, concerning that. 
for your sake, uh, for, for mine as well. Um, but that's what he did, okay? And so he fulfilled it. He's a man of the word. He's a man of his word. He, he made a promise and he kept to it, and that's what he did. So he go, he's moving on. He takes Priscilla and Aquila with him. Uh, they stop in the port of Ephesus, and here's where he leaves them. Uh, it says there he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. As he left, however, he said, I'll come back later, God willing. Then he set sail from Ephesus. The next stop was the port of uh, Caesarea. And then from there, he went up to the church of Jerusalem. And then he went up to Antioch, reporting back to the churches what the Lord was doing. It says, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia, Phrygia, uh, visiting and strengthening the believers. See, that's the start of the third missionary, the third missionary journey. Like, and you miss it. You're like, oh, wait, it's already like, it's going. He's right back on the, he's right back on it. This will be the third and final missionary journey for the Apostle Paul. But as he's working his way back to Ephesus, he stops off to encourage all the believers in the churches that he has planted. So our story today picks up in verse, uh, verse 24 with what's happening at Ephesus as Paul is working his way back, okay? It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he had taught others about Jesus with an, enthu an enthusiastic spirit, okay, and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. That's John the Baptist. That's Jesus's cousin. He only knew of John's baptism, okay? So here is Apollos. Here's what I find fascinating about this guy. And number one is his name, Apollos. He's named after a, a, a Roman god, Apollo, okay? Uh, or Apollonius, or however you want to say his name. Uh, the, okay, so Greek, or yeah, it's, it's more of a Greek god, but that mythology, he's the son of Zeus, okay? Does it matter? No, because they're not real, all right? It doesn't matter, they're not real. But just so you understand, within the world and the culture, um, Apollos was the most, probably the most loved god, lowercase g, of all of them. He's the god of poetry. He's the God of music. He's the God of health. He's the God of youth. I mean, everybody loves this guy, right? And what is the most intriguing thing for me as studying through this, Apollos is a Jewish man born into a Jewish family in Alexandria. That's a city in Egypt, okay? So right there on the, where the, the, Nile, the Nile is, come in into the Mediterranean Sea. So right, right within that region there, there was, a, there was a community of Jews that lived there. His parents lived there. He was born there. So he, here is a Jewish boy named after a pagan god. I think that probably says a whole lot. I mean, that says a whole lot, like, concerning his upbringing and all that stuff. Alexandria was a, it was a, a tremendous city, um, well advanced and all that good stuff. I mean, uh, so here's little Apollos, named by his parents after this foreign god that, well, you got to love Apollos because he does all this good stuff for us, right? So he's named after this, and it's just, it's incredible. And his name forever is Apollos. It doesn't get it changed to a, a Jewish name or anything like that. So it's just fascinating. A little background concerning this man. What's, what's amazing about this guy is he's an, he's an eloquent speaker, um, or he's a, a, a dynamic speaker, 
dunamos is the Greek word. It means dynamite, okay? It means powerful. He was a powerful speaker. He had a gift for public speaking. He was very eloquent in what he said. People, he could say something that people could, they could understand and they could follow along with him and, and they, they grasped what, you know, they, they were able to pick up what he was laying down, if, if you get what I'm saying. So he knew the scriptures well. Well, what does it mean that he knew the scriptures well? He knew the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament very well, okay? Born, probably raised to appreciate the Old Testament, even though he has this, um, he's named after this, this pagan god, probably grew up in a, in a family that, that valued and treasured the Old Testament and brought up in the scriptures. So he knew the Old Testament. That's good. It's not enough, but it's good. So he knew the scriptures well. Just along the journey of life, he arrives in Ephesus from Alexandria. He had been taught the way of the Lord. Fascinating. He was taught the way of the Lord. And he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit. That's part of that dunamos as well. This enthusiastic, he just had this, this way about him. He was excited about Jesus. And he was excited to teach other people about Jesus. And they caught on to that enthusiasm. Sounds good. And it is good. But it's not enough. It's not enough. He thought, he thought about, about Jesus with an enthusiastic, enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, however, or but. Pay attention to the buts of the Bible, right? This is important. However, he knew only about John's baptism. So his, his information, and even though he knew, he knew of Jesus, he knew a lot about Jesus, he only knew up to a certain point about Jesus. He never knew Jesus personally up until this moment. But he's like teaching Sunday school classes. Yeah, so was I. So was I. I was teaching Sunday school classes about Jesus. A Jesus I didn't know personally. I, that's, that's what I was doing too. Because my really, I mean, I was, you know, you know, kind of drugged to church, you know, little age. I don't remember anything about that, except one guy, one Sunday school teacher was telling me about the time he's chopping wood, missed the wood, and got his foot. Like, that's all I remember about however many times I went to Sunday school. I don't know, but that's the only story I remember, okay? The only story I remember. I don't even know how old I was. But the one solid year of church that I had in my life was my senior year of high school. That was it. In Amarillo, Texas, Grace Church, um, Pastor Bill Gim, youth group up there, brought me in, welcomed me in. They're weird, all this stuff, right? I'm like, what is going on with this place? Like, where have I found myself? Why do these people keep hugging each other? Like, what is wrong with these people? Okay? That was my experience with church. And I'm just listening, just going to Sunday, going to Wednesday, go to youth group, and just listening, listening, listening. I'm naturally a skeptical kind of person. So I'm like, well, I don't know about all this. So I'm watching. I'm just observing all these all this good things. And I'm showing enough. And, you know, I, I learn enough about Jesus. I certainly learn enough about him. And I learn enough about the Bible um, to where I can give you answers. You know, if you'd ask me questions to basic questions, I could give you some answers. Well, my, I graduated from high school. Um, and I've told you guys this before. I apply for Bible college um, as a non-believer. I did not know Jesus, okay? He was not my personal Lord and Savior. I applied for Bible college. 
And I've told you why. It's as carnal as it is. It's Southern California, and I hear there's girls out there, okay? So take me to the beach. Take me to Southern California. It's a Bible college. It's super cheap. I'm like, why not? Yeah? And so I go. But, but the journey before I even get there, I'm living in Colorado in the mountains working for some friends that used to lead the youth group at Grace Church in Amarillo. Um, and it's there in the mountains, and I'm like... There's a small little church, and so the lady, was the, the lady who let me stay at their, you know, run their, their store and all lodge and all that good stuff, she's like, look, uh, we need somebody to help teach vacation Bible school and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Sure. So I did that. I was, teaching, I was teaching Sunday school kind of stuff and vacation Bible school. I didn't even know who, I had no, I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And then it was like probably in the month leading up to me uh, it was in July. I know it was in July. It was 98. 1998, in July, in my little apartment efficiency in the mountains of Colorado, and Jesus showed up in my room, and he was like, hey, you know a lot about me, but you don't know me. And I surrendered. And I knew that's when he became my personal Lord and Savior, right? So that happened to me, kind of like in Apollos. This guy was talking about Jesus all the time. He was teaching people about Jesus, but his information and his knowledge about who Jesus is only went so far. And you can only take somebody where you yourself have already been. So even as he's teaching people, he can only take them so far. So here he is, enthusiastic guy, super talented, gifted with the ability to teach and speak and all that stuff, very passionate about Jesus but he doesn't know him. He doesn't know him. It is not enough to know about Jesus. It is not enough to go to church. It is not enough to give. It is not enough, it's not enough to pray. It's not enough to do any of it. You have to know Jesus personally. There has to be a moment in your life where you said, yes, Jesus, I surrender. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. I want you to take up full occupancy within inside of me. Here's my heart. It's yours. Here's my life. It's yours. There has to be a moment where that happens within our lives. There has to be. This happens for, for Apollos, but it doesn't happen apart from our friends, Priscilla and Aquila. Here's, I mean, this couple is just amazing. They're amazing. They're the coolest couple ever. They were living in Corinth. Paul shows up. They end up in Corinth because they get booted out of their last place. So they're in Corinth, and they're tent makers, and Paul's a tent maker, and so he probably gets to live with them, and they work side by side, and they don't necessarily teach the apostle Paul. He gets to teach them as they, they provide probably for him a place to stay. They, they give him a place to stay, and they, take, they minister to him in a whole other way. He gets to teach them, and they minister to him, right? It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful setting. Now, as they're in Ephesus, it says right here, verse 26, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. The coolest thing. They're listening, as you would be, you're listening to me, and it'd be like after the service ends, they're like, hey, James, um, can we talk to you over here? And you're like, oh, great, what'd I do, right? Like, that's usually what happens for pastors. They're like, oh, man, what'd I do? Um, so but they're like, no, no, 
Can we take you out to lunch? Can we invite you over to our house? We want to share something with you. We love your passion. We love how enthusiastic you are. We love your, your gifted. God has gifted you with, a, with an ability, and it's amazing. But can we share with you something? You're missing something. You're missing, you're missing one thing. You're missing Jesus. And they explained to him the way more accurately. And, and more than likely, this is what they did. They went from John to Jesus. And they like, can, can we tell you about Jesus? This one that John was talking about. What, what, is, what is John's baptism? John's baptism is that of repentance. John was preparing the way for Jesus. He was, he was there. That was his... He was here on this planet to prepare the way of the Lord. And so Apollos was all in on that. And John had many disciples who were all in on his teaching and his message. But a lot of those guys missed Jesus when he showed up. They're so fired up about it, like, yes, prepare the way for the Lord. And John's like, John even himself in the gospel said, hey, oh, oh, he's over there. He's already here. He's over there. And, and John even baptized Jesus. But even with all that, some of those disciples still missed Jesus. And here's Apollos. All he knows is John's baptism, and that's of repentance, which is good. It, it, but that's preparing you for this relationship with Jesus. So they, they explained to him Jesus. And they're like, look, he was here. He was? Yeah. He showed up. Sweet. I want to meet him. Well, he died. Well, he died. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the scriptures tell us, he came and he died. But he rose again three days later. He rose again three, three days later. And hundreds of people saw him. For, for 40 days, he was hanging out post-resurrection. But now he's, at, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. But he's going to come back. So they explained this to Apollos, and that was the moment for him. That's when it clicked for him. That's when he be went from knowing a lot about Jesus to actually knowing Jesus and having that relationship with him. And the impact was immediate. Verse 27, Apollos had been thinking about going to uh, Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. So we don't know how much time has taken place from this little meeting with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, probably enough time. But they were, they were investing in Apollos. They needed to invest in him. And he needed them to invest in him. And not only that, but everybody who would, would show up and get to hear Apollo speak needed Priscilla and Aquila to invest into Apollos. You and I can be a Priscilla and Aquila today for someone. Maybe the Lord will bring an Apollos into your life. Maybe somebody who, man, you can just see the gifting on this person, but there's this one thing missing, this one thing missing. Well, maybe you get the opportunity to come alongside them and say, hey, look, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about how Jesus has gifted you with whatever that gifting is, and he wants to use it for his kingdom? We need Priscilla's and Aquila's today. We need, we need Apollos's to show up today as well. 
but you can't have an Apollo show up if you don't have a Priscilla and Aquila who is willing to invest in whoever that is. This is why we live the invested life. This is why we pour our lives into other people. Because in doing so, you're, you're helping them out, but big picture, you're investing into the kingdom of God. Because Apollos would go on and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many people would get saved and would get baptized because of him. And you can trace it back to the fact that there was a married couple that said, listen, we want to take you out for lunch. We want to invest in your life. We, we recognize the Lord is doing something with you. We want to be a part of that. We need to do more of that. That's, that's discipleship within the church. But discipleship, discipleship is, is really just investing into the lives of others. It's taking a chance on somebody. It doesn't always work out. It doesn't always work out. I can, I can tell you that. You can invest in the life of somebody for years, years, and it doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to. Doesn't mean it's over, but it doesn't always turn out how we think it's going to. That doesn't excuse us from investing in people. That doesn't excuse us from taking chances on individuals. Jesus, now, Jesus doesn't take chances. I get it, so don't correct me on this, but you understand what I'm saying. I think he took a chance on me. Okay? Now he knew what he was getting. I understand all that. Individuals in my life have taken a chance on me. They just have. Bill Gim at Grace Church in Amarillo. He took a chance on me. Asked me to be their youth pastor. Here I am, the shy kid. Does not talk. Um, most people up there didn't even know I really could talk. Um, I get out of Bible college. I open up a little bit more. Um, I start serving in, actually I was serving in children's ministry and then the youth pastor was like, hey look, um, you, you are highly recommended. I want you to, to serve in junior high. And I'm like, who you been talking to, right? Like, what? Um, so I started doing that and then Bill comes along and I remember the walk we had around the, the little bitty circle on Monterey Drive uh, outside of his house in Emerald, Texas as we're just walking around the circle and he's talking and talking and talking and, and uh, he said, look, um, we were praying about this, but we want you to be the youth pastor. They took a chance on me. I was a youth pastor, I don't know how long, 13 years, something like that, right? Other people have taken chances on me. And what that's taught me is, regardless of the outcome, it's worth taking a chance on somebody. Does it come back to bite you? Of course, of course. Nobody bats a thousand, right? Of course. But it's worth it for the one. It's worth it for the one. You can invest in the lives of a hundred people, but it's worth it for the one who goes off to be an Apollos and wins many for the kingdom. It's worth it for the one. I, I hope you've had that experience within your life of somebody taking a chance on you, so to speak, but I hope you've turned that around and you are investing in the lives of other people and you're willing to take the risk of investing your life into them, regardless of what may happen, you'll get your heart broken. You will, I promise you that. It'll come with pain, I promise you that. It just does, but is it worth it? I can say emphatically, it is worth it. Because they're worth it, and more than that, he's worth it. 
They took a chance on Apollos. They invested into this man. And he grew. He flourished. I mean, he, he just was. And now he's like, look, I'm going to go. I need to go. I need to go and, and spread this gospel in other places. And maybe I need to be like Paul. Because I'm sure they were talking a lot about the Apostle Paul. Of how just dynamic and powerful he is as well. And, and maybe Apollos is like, you know what? I should be doing what he's doing. Maybe I need to go plant some churches. So I want to go to this area. And he, he had a lot of support to go to that area. They wrote to the believers uh, living there. And they, they asked them, the believers, uh, to welcome him. It says when he arrived there, he, pre- he proved to be great, of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. So here he comes at the right time and the right place with a letter that's been signed by other believers saying like, listen, this, this guy, the Lord's doing something with this guy. You should hear him out. And he shows up and, and they're believers, but they needed to be encouraged. They needed to be built up by somebody who just loved Jesus so much and loved his word so much. And so that's what he did. He showed up. He went, he showed up and he, he encouraged, he edified, he built up the body. He was a great benefit to those. Verse 28, he refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Debates are great. They're great. Um, Side note, why aren't there any debates happening in this presidential election? Like, am I missing? Tuesday, okay. I'm like, am I missing something? Don't these things happen like, almost seems like weekly? I don't know. That's a whole side thing. There's probably more to it than what I realized, but I was just like, why is anybody talking? Why isn't anybody? Okay, Tuesday, I'm going to tune in because I want to know. I love debates. I'm not a good debater, but I love watching them. I love it when people can present sides, this side of the story with this side of the story. And as long as it stays civil um, and, you know, fairly respectable and all that good stuff, I think it's fun. I think it's cool. It's really, it's, it's engaging for me. I kind of like it. When they turn into arguments, I turn them off. Turn them off. I ain't got time for nonsense, Right? But debates, I like. I like listening to debates. I'll listen to um, Christian uh, apologists will debate with non-believers. I love love hearing both sides of the story. I'm not afraid to hear what a non-believer may have to say or questions they have to ask. I'm not afraid of that because we don't have all the answers. But I love hearing the back and forth, the back and forth, okay? There's Apollos. He's debating powerful arguments in public, debating with the Jews, about what? That Jesus is the Messiah. It says here, using the scriptures, using their scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. He's the Christ. So I love it. He loves the word. He's using the Old Testament to prove to these Jews who knew just just as much of the Old Testament as he did, and were probably just as passionate about the Old Testament as he was, but he's like, yeah, but you're missing. Remember over here? Remember in Isaiah? This one chapter you guys don't want to talk about? Remember in Isaiah? This is all about Jesus. Oh, you want to look at this psalm? Let's look at this psalm, Psalm 22. Let's talk about that one. This is all about Jesus. You saw it lived out in your lifetime. You can't mistake it. So he was able to engage these guys in public debate, and and he's just powerful, powerful guy. So we'll leave there. And then we'll, we'll, we're going to journey into just this first part of, of chapter 19 because the story kind of goes on. Because w- where's Paul at? We know he's on the road back to Ephesus. So let's, we're going to pick up the story with where, where Paul is. 
It says, verse 1 of chapter 19, while Apollos was in Corinth, okay, so this is before he'd taken off and all that, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. So he, he, he there's going to be 12 of these guys, and he says, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So this is a fascinating thing, okay? This, I think, goes along with the story of Apollos because they're, they're, they're very similar, okay? The stories are very similar. You're dealing with Apollos who knew about John's baptism. Now you're going to be dealing with 12 disciples, but John's disciples. Paul is working his way back to Ephesus. He encounters these guys. He has a conversation with them. And in this conversation he's having with these guys, he notices, he, un, he discerns, well, there's something missing from you guys. Because we're talking a lot about the Lord, but there's, there's, there's a disconnect. And so Paul is taps into it. Maybe the Holy Spirit kind of is leading him, leading him to ask this question. He's like, hold on, fellas. Um, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So obviously he, he maybe he just has this gift of discernment within that moment as he's engaging him in conversation. He's like, can I ask you a question? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now for us, be a, ooh, a scary question, right? Like, oh no, don't get all charismatic. No, it's not that. It's not that, okay? It's a very simple, basic question that we should all be asking. What, did you receive the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Paul's going to explain it to him, and he's going to explain it to us as well. Here's their response. No. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. <laughs> they were like, wait, what? They're like, yeah, no, we don't know what you're talking about. He asked them, that, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. A holy what? Like, what? What, what are you talking about? No, we, we're, we're disciples of John. We've all been baptized. For what? Your remission of your sins, repentance. Paul's like, oh, okay. That's cool, but that's not enough. But that's not enough. Christians should be baptized. They should. Every Christian should be baptized. That's just period. Now, is it necessary for you to go to heaven? No, it's not. Should you get baptized? Absolutely. Why not? Why not? These guys got baptized for, in John's baptism, the baptism of repentance, but it stopped there. It kind of like Apollos. It, it stopped there. And he, he knew, the, we don't, apparently these guys don't know much about, probably not much about Jesus either. They don't know much about theology. They're like, What's a Holy Spirit? We know about God, and we know about John. Paul's like, no, 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 yeah. No, see, you, you don't know much about God, actually. You don't. Because if you did, you would understand that God is three in one. He's a triune God. It's God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. But we don't know that. Huh, okay, well, we've got a problem, right? So, but Paul's gonna, he's gonna address this and he's gonna explain to them what they're missing. He says, uh, verse three, then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus, 
So even John himself said, like, look, I'll baptize you, this, but no, you, you need to follow Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. That was John's message, and, and you can go back into the beginning of, of the Gospels, and you, and you can read that for yourself, but Paul's explaining to them, he's like, no, listen, fellas, we all love John the Baptist. He's a great guy, right? Jesus himself said, there's not been a man born gr- from a woman that's, been gr- that's greater than John the Baptist. That's a great compliment from Jesus to his cousin, John the Baptist, who fulfilled his ministry and died, lost his head because of it. John the Baptist is a great guy, but belief in John the Baptist or even following in John's baptism of repentance doesn't lead you into salvation. It prepares you. It directs you. It should direct you towards Jesus, and that's what Paul's saying. He was pointing you to Jesus, but you stopped at the baptism. See, your your faith is incomplete. It's incomplete. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, obviously, as he's explaining to them who Jesus is, because what's not included in there is what can be rightfully assumed is what Paul did, is that he's going to explain to them, let me tell you about Jesus. You're a very religious person. You've been baptized, but do you know Jesus? Well, yeah, I mean, I know he's, you know, born in Bethlehem. We're going to be singing songs about that in a couple months, right? He's from Nazareth, I guess. I don't know where that's at in Israel, but it's somewhere within there, right? And, you know, all this, he was born in the stable surrounded by a bunch of farm animals and all this, and they're like, well, um, maybe. No, but yes, born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, spent some time in Egypt, you know, did all this stuff. No, but do you know him? You can have a bunch of facts and bullet points that you have memorized about him, but no, do you actually know him? More importantly, are you known by him? Does he know who you are? Well, he's God. He knows who everybody is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a personal intimate level do you know him and does he know you is he your lord and savior so paul walks them through this whole process of like let me tell you about jesus he came see john baptized him and he went right into the ministry and he fulfilled everything that he was that the messiah was prophesied to fulfill as far as like his ministry on this planet he did everything that they were looking for he healed the blind the lame the sick, the mute, he raised the dead, he did it all. He checked off all the boxes. He did it all in three years. He did it all, accomplished it all, lived a sinless life, perfect life, was led to that cross, died on that cross for our sins. They put him in a tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's fresh new tomb. He gave it over to Jesus because he knew he was just going to borrow it, right? So they put him in that deal, and three days later, hey, where'd he go? Who stole his body? Ain't nobody stole his body, right? Because nobody needed to. He was gone. But he wasn't gone completely. He hung out for 40 days. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. By the disciples on multiple occasions, and they all lost their lives because of what they experienced. And because they refused. They refused to deny him. They refused. He ascended up to heaven. We saw that in Acts chapter 1. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, like, a, like Priscilla and Aquila would have explained to Apollos. And he's coming back. 
And these Jews, these believers, these disciples, that students, what that means, they're like, oh, <laughs> wow. oh yeah, yeah, we want that. We want that. I mean, repentance is great. Repentance is amazing. It's, it's, it's a great thing. But if it doesn't lead to Jesus, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. And so they're like, we're in. We're in. They gave their lives to Jesus. They, they surrendered their lives to Jesus. They made that moment, that day, they made Jesus their Lord and Savior. And what did he do? He filled them with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what happens when you get saved, okay? It's not some mystical, magical experience. Maybe you feel something. Maybe you don't. I don't know. You give your life to Jesus. You, you are surrendered over to him. The Holy Spirit takes up residency, occupancy within your heart. So is it wrong to say Jesus lives in my Well, kind of, but I get what you're saying. It's really the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He has filled you. We could talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and some of those dynamics on Wednesday night when we get there, when we talk about theological things. We'll talk about that then. But every believer who has surrendered their life to Jesus, you are, the Holy Spirit has filled you. And it, you're not a gas tank. It doesn't run out. Okay? You're like, man, I'm getting low on the Holy Spirit. I need to fill up again. It's like, can you ask him to fill you? Yes, and do that every day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would what, fill me. Maybe a better word is empower me today. Make me overflowing today. Right? He has, you don't get less of the Holy Spirit as the day goes on, so to speak, as it's like your car running out of gas, okay? He's filled you. He's filled you. We could talk about some other experiences and all that stuff later. What's kind of interesting about this one is the confirmation they received. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, so they got baptized again, but this time in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then Jesus, you know, in that whole experience, you know, has kind of baptized him into the body of Christ, okay? We, we understand that dynamic, hopefully. If not, we'll talk about it later. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them or came upon them. Acts chapter 2 kind of a deal, or Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius' house with the Jews and with the Gentiles. And here's these disciples of John Paul lays his hands on them, signifying this, that he is just as respectable or on the same level as all the other apostles. Because it was with Peter and all the other apostles in Acts chapter 2. It was with Peter and Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. And now in Acts chapter 19, it's Paul. He lays his hands on them to pray, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Okay? Uh, you know, with, in, and upon. There's three different dynamics for the Holy Spirit. It says, and they spoke in other tongues, and that's other, other languages that they themselves, they never knew these languages. They didn't, you know, so that's, a, that's an interesting dynamic. This is the last time you'll hear of this in the book of Acts, though. Does that mean it's done, tongues is done for, from here on out? I don't think so. But in this scenario, it's recorded, I believe, kind of like with Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and here for these believers, number one, showing Paul's authority as an apostle, but then also showing them like, look, the Lord is still moving. The Lord is still moving. And he did it with the Jews in Jerusalem. You missed that one. 
He did it in Cornelius' house. You wouldn't have been there for that one. But here, he's still, he's, he's showing these guys who have been out on this fringe teaching other people about the baptism of John, of John and all that. He's like, no, no, no. Here's the more accurate way. It's the way of Jesus. And so they speak in tongues and they prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all, which is a fascinating little number in and of itself. But there's Paul. He just shows up. But what does he do? He engages these guys in a conversation. He notices that there's something missing in this conversation. They talk a lot about God. A lot about God. Our day. Lots of people talk about God in our day. We have no idea who they're talking about. Because, you know, anybody and everybody, you win an award, I can get on the stage and say, hey, I just want to thank God. Well, who are you talking about? Because it doesn't always mean what you think it means. It's like, wait, wait, wait who? Which, which God? Are we talking about Apollos? Or are we talking about God Almighty? Or are we talking about this other God? What are we talking about? Paul's having this conversation with these guys. A lot of religious terms and all that stuff getting thrown around. And Paul's like, hold on. Let me ask you a question. Paul took time to engage them in conversation. He's investing in their lives. And he points them to Jesus. They get saved. Now they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they, he gets to send them on. They probably are some of the key uh, elements to the church in Ephesus as it gets planted by Paul. Because these guys are all part of Ephesus. And that's probably where they go. And Paul is probably able to use these 12 guys in a tremendous way as he establishes the church or is used by God to establish the church there in Ephesus. Invest in other people. Invest in other people. You are not too busy. Throw that excuse away, right? If you're too, if you're too busy, then you, your life's not prioritized right, all right? I'm just gonna say it like that. That may be offensive. I'm sorry, but you need to rethink your calendar. If you're too busy for the kingdom of God, then you need to make some corrections. If you're too busy to invest in the lives of other people, I know it's not convenient. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to. When is it ever going to be convenient? But I know my own schedule, and I know how much time I waste on unimportant things. If I don't have enough time within my life to invest in the lives of others, that's on me. That's bad time management on my part. The kingdom of God is what we're a part of. We get to invest in the lives of others. So let's be proactive. Let's get out there and let's invest in people. Listen to what they're saying. Hear them out and ask smart questions. Ask pointed questions. Hey, can I ask you something? What do you think about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Oh, he's a great guy, great teacher. Really great teacher. Yeah, that's true. But there's more to it. Take the time to invest in people. Just take the time to invest in them. What we need is we need more Priscilla's and Aquila's. We need Apollos's. We need Apostle Paul's. We need 12 disciples who meet Jesus because somebody took the time to stop and talk to them. We need more of that today. So let's do that. Let's invest in the lives of others. Let's invest in the lives of others. And then you get to heaven, new heaven, new earth. You might have some people come up to you and be like, hey, can I thank you for what? I don't even know who you are. I know, I know. But because of you, so-and-so 
took the time to talk to me, and I'm here by the grace of God because he was working in your life, and you took the time to invest in their life, and then they took the time to invest in my life, and I just want to thank you for taking a chance. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, beautiful weather, Lord. Um, uh, this is, we just love this time of year. Uh, I pray for those demon mosquitoes to go somewhere else. Um, but we thank you, Lord, so much for just a place where we get to live. Uh, for however long it is, Lord, you've placed us here within, maybe not all of us in Galveston itself, but wherever community we, we're coming from, Lord, I, I would pray that we know that, that that's where you have us. So how can we be invested in, investing in lives around where we're at. Maybe it's at the workplace, Lord. How can we do that, Lord? I pray that you would give us, I pray that you would give us just uh, brilliant ideas, Lord, of how to, how to engage people in conversation. Lord, how to be better listeners to people when they're talking to us. And how, how to know when to ask the right question. I, I pray that you would just teach us that, Lord. And the more, more time we spent with you, we spend with you in your word and, and in prayer, Lord, I pray that you would just... Um, give us boldness. I pray that we would be enthusiastic about you. I pray that we would be uh, on fire for you and because of your word, Lord, and I uh, want to share that with other people. So I pray that you would do that work within our hearts and our minds, Lord. No, no sermon's going to do that for us, Lord. No pep talk's going to do that for us, Lord. We need that to be from you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us. Give us boldness we need. Help us to, to see the lives that, that are out there that we need to be investing in. Help us to, to know, Lord, that it's worth the risk to inv just to take a chance on somebody. Even though we know there's a good chance they're going to break our heart. But Lord, your kingdom is worth it. Your kingdom is worth it. You are worth it, Lord. So we thank you. Thank you for all the ones who have taken a chance on us. Lord, and thank you for the ones you're going you're gonna to bring across our path to, to invest in. So we thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising from the grave three days later, Lord. And thank you, thank you, thank you that you have not given up on us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And you are coming back. So I pray for anybody in the room. Maybe they've only gone to the place of baptism of repentance, John's baptism. I pray that if you need to surrender to Jesus today, that, that this will be the day. Take that next step. Just receive him. Just acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I want you to be the savior of my life. I want you to be the king of kings and Lord of lords within my life. I want, Holy Spirit, you to fill me. We would encourage you. You pray that now. I would ask that if that's you, if you're, you're going back and forth on that or anything, that please don't leave this place without talking to somebody about that. We have people in this room who are, they're dedicated to praying with other people. And so let's do that. But Lord, we thank you for this day. Pray for our nation. Pray for our, our, our state and our city, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, that Calvary Galveston would represent you well during these, during these crazy times, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.